Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. All right, I'm going to start tonight talking about some advice that somebody called Paternus gives to his son. And he said, son, and he says this. First of all, my child, think magnificently of God. Magnify his providence, adore his power, pray to him frequently and incessantly. Bear him always in your mind. Teach your thoughts to reverence him in every place, for there is no place where he is not. Therefore, my child, fear and worship and love God. First and last, think magnificently of him. And I really love this. I think this is such fantastic advice. Um, and in the days and the times we're living in, you know, God's magnificence doesn't change. God is our almighty one. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He dwells in unapproachable glory. His power is without, you know, without limit. No, we haven't exhausted God's power or his wisdom or his holiness in any way. He is a glorious and magnificent God. But we live in a reality where we very easily get our eyes off that. We've so, so bombarded with so many things going on around us, the stresses and the pressures of life that sometimes our thoughts shift from the magnificence of our God to perhaps the terror of our problems or the fears of the things that are going on around us. And I want to remind you today that it's important that we regularly remember and regularly reflect on who God is. We need to remind ourselves of these things, constantly encourage ourselves. Um, you know, Dallas Willard, he's a, he, he was a very famous or very well-quoted, well-learned um, Christian philosopher, died a few years ago. He said, what we place our minds on brings that reality into our lives. And that's so true. What we place our minds on brings that reality into our lives. If we place our minds on God, the reality of God comes into our lives. And that's just what I want to do with you today. My message to you is very simple, and I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. I'm going to be reading from the New King James, and though I'm going to quote some other scriptures, the sole purpose of my message today is to walk with you through this one psalm. We're going to read the whole thing beginning to end, sort of just commenting on every verse as we go through it. But here's the point while you turn there. I really believe that the greater our revelation, our understanding, and the more intimate we become with the greatness of God, with the greatness of his love and his mercy for us, the greatness of his ability, the greatness of his wisdom in, in understanding, knowing where we are, knowing what we're going through, knowing what lies ahead, and yet having a perfect plan that we can trust in wholeheartedly. The more these kinds of realities and truths settle down deep in our hearts, the more we approach life from a victorious point of view, from a faith-filled point of view, from a point of view of confidence, not in our circumstances or in our abilities, but confidence in who our God is. 
And that is what David, if you like, is doing in this psalm. And he does so by remembering the magnificence of God, by remembering the things which God has done. And in so doing, giving him confidence for the future. I mean, we can remember uh, 1 Samuel 17, which is the story of David and Goliath. David has a, has a wonderful way of thinking back to look ahead. I have God delivered the lion into my hand. God delivered the bear into my hand. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of those. David repeatedly reflects on God's faithfulness past in order to align his expectation for God's faithfulness now and in the future. Now, I want to teach you something tonight that I taught our fellowship, by the way, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Because we can't say amen in this format, I want to teach you some sign language tonight. Amen in sign language is like this. If you hold out your left hand, or you can all get, yes, this is a group activity, and you scoop up the fact and you put your thumbs up down. Amen. Amen. So if you want to say amen tonight and you don't unmute yourself, just give me that old thumbs up and I'll be really encouraged. That'll be great. Amen. <laughs> amen. All right. <laughs> So here we are, Psalm 103. And what I'd really like you to do this, mo this, this morning or afternoon, wherever it is that you may be, I'm not going to ask you to position yourself in David's understanding, but I want you to position yourself in your relationship with God as you reflect on these things and you reflect on what David shares is his experience in your own life. This is how David begins. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name so here we see the very first verse david calls upon his soul he's literally preaching to himself directing himself to give a, what he considers to be a fitting tribute to the goodness of god to who god is it's as if david is saying my soul i don't care if you feel like it i don't care if everything's looking good right now but bless the lord because he is worthy of it now, we may think this wording is quite strange. What does it mean to bless the Lord? Well, simply, it means that we speak well of his greatness and of his goodness. We magnify him for who he really is, but it's not just lip service that we're giving him. We speak of God's greatness and we speak of God's goodness, and we mean it from the very depths of our soul. In other words, when we read this psalm and when we pray this prayer, it's not just some mental thing that we're going through, but we're a, we, we are bringing our heart to the place where we say, bless the Lord with all that I am, bless his holy name. Everything, all my capacity come in line to speak highly of my God. You know, there's nothing that you or I could give God or to offer that we could offer the Lord that is worthy of him. You know, there's nothing we can bring to him that he would go, oh, wow, I'm so blessed. I've always wanted one of these. We're not going to do that with God. But if you think of his father's heart, one of the things that give a father the greatest pleasure is to see his children enjoying the blessings that he has laid on for them. Not only enjoying them, but enjoying them with gratitude. In other words, the blessing of a father is that he and his love and his, his gifts are not taken for granted, but that he is valued and the heart behind the gift is valued. In other words, I receive the gift from the father as an expression of his love, not as just this omnipotent being 
who is now meeting my needs because I asked him to. There's, there's this beautiful exchange, and I believe that attitude really blesses the heart of God, where we value and appreciate who he is and what he has done for us and what he's given us. And then into verse 2, David again repeats the same words, bless the Lord, O my soul. But then he walk, goes on to another statement and says, and forget not all his benefits. Now he's bringing things to his remembrance. You know, sometimes we, we especially in our Pentecostal charismatic circles, worship or blessing the Lord becomes sort of a touchy-feely thing, and we feel and we wait for the presence. Here David is actually being really rational, and he is bringing to mind, that means that we can, we can rationally as well praise the Lord. And here he goes, who forgives all your iniquities? Every single one. And who heals all your diseases? Every single one. You know, as if you had to just sit and think about this for a while, you it kind of dawns on you the magnitude of those words. He holds nothing back. He has taken care of everything. David goes on to say, he redeems my life from destruction. Now, I don't know about you, but this one really resonates very strongly in my heart because I know that the path that I was on was a path to destruction, a path of selfishness. It was a path of fleshly passions, that a, a, a path of wanting my desires satisfied at all times. You know, Proverbs 14, 12 tells us that, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And God redeemed me from what I thought was good life, what I thought was going to be a great plan. And he set me on a different path. He set me on a new way. And so he paid a price to redeem my life from the certain destruction that I was going to face. What, a, what, a, what an incredible thing to praise God for, to be so grateful to God for. He goes on to say, not only does he redeem me from destruction, but he crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. So instead of a path that leads to destruction, he sets me on a new road with a crown on my head. And that crown is called loving kindness and tender mercy. And so this new road and this new journey that I'm on, you see, it's not just something that's going to happen one day in the great by and by. I get to walk in and experience every day fresh, tender mercy and loving kindness of my awesome father this is the nature of the new path he directs me on and not only that he goes on to say that he satisfies your mouth with good things now i was really blessed today as pastor andreas said it was a beautiful sunny day in cape town today and obviously with all the lockdown and all the rest we go and buy our my parents, you know, all their groceries and all the rest. And there's a place in, in Durbanville called Joey's. They specialize in meat. And of course, my mom wants, wanted certain things there and said, while you're there, just get some steaks for yourself and Helen and the kids, which we duly did being obedient children. And so today we got to braai some delicious steak and really enjoy it together with my family. So let's just say my mouth has been satisfied with good things. In other words, there's, there's, you know, food satisfies, I don't know about you, but food satisfies me. You know, there's an adage in our family, some people eat to live, other people live to eat. I, I can relate to that. That resonates 
strongly with me. And there's a sense of satisfaction when you've enjoyed something delicious. But, you know, what I realized in reading that verse is that is true, but there's a deeper meaning to this, which has even further reaching consequences. You see, when God, when I begin to put God's words into my mouth, guess what happens? My mouth and my heart and my life become seasoned and satisfied with the good things. Listen to Jeremiah 1 verse 9. From the New King James, he says, Then the Lord put forth his hand, he touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I, behold, I put my words in your mouth. Again, in Isaiah 20, 59, 21, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. He says, And this is my covenant with them, says Lord Yahweh. From now on, my Holy Spirit will rest on them and not depart from them. And my prophetic words will fill their mouths and will not depart from them nor from their children, nor from their descendants, from now on forever, says the Lord Yahweh. You see, when the Lord satisfies my mouth with his words that come out of my heart, these are the, the words, I'm blessing the Lord. I am speaking my words of faith. I am prophesying to my future the very plans and purposes of God. Wow, what an incredible reality when I begin to see things through, through these eyes, that he puts his words into my mouth, that I may prophesy life over my life, over my family, over my children. What a blessing. And he goes on in the same verse to say, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I think Isaiah, oh, David's, uh, who, who was first? David was first. So Isaiah is drawing from David when Isaiah, in, 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 in uh, uh, um, Isaiah 40, verse 30, 31, to 30 and 31, we're familiar with this portion of scripture, which says, even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, this, this whole thing of youth renewal, it's not some, you know, you know, youth serum kind of thing. It doesn't make us younger, but it talks about a vitality of heart the likes of which Caleb had in, in the book of um, Joshua, where he says, 40 years ago, I was ready to take this mountain. I'm now 85 years old. I'm still ready to take this mountain. There's that, there's that, that renewal that comes. If we read through those last few verses, loving kindness, tender mercy, satisfying our mouths with good things, and all of the, 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 the multiplied effect of these things is that we are filled with spiritual life and vitality. So we're not worn out. We're not feeling beat up by all the things that are going on around us. Verse 6, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. So what we can see in that verse is that we can rest and trust in God's unfailing righteous judgment at all times. You see, sometimes God doesn't treat other people the way we want him to. Sometimes we feel hard done by. But you know what the truth is that God doesn't treat you or I like we deserve either. But God is righteous and he executes his righteousness and he executes his justice for all who are oppressed in his way, in his timing and according to his relationship with you and I. Very often that will look very different from what we what we want it to look like. Very often that will 
mean that we have to forgive and release things into God's hands. But we do so with full confidence that he always executes righteousness and justice for those who are oppressed. And so we rest in that. We don't need to fight the battle. We don't need to win the battle. We can rest in his faithfulness at all times. Just complete trust. Verse 7. This is a goodie because there's gold in this one. David says that he made way, he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. Now it's very interesting. He made known his ways to Moses, but his acts to the children of Israel. And you could say that the acts of God reveal the ways of God, and, and you'd be right to a point. But I think there's a far deeper meaning in this, especially when you consider the context or the, the points of reference, when you consider the, the, the closeness of God with Moses and Moses' desire to be with God versus the people of Israel. And here I'm going to refer to Exodus chapter 20, where God comes down, uh, he presences himself on the mountain in the pillar of cloud, Exodus 20, 19 to 21. We read that then they, the people of Israel, said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you. In other words, that you may have a deep revelation of the greatness of God so deep that you will not doubt. So God wants to bring you into his presence to have an experience with him that will galvanize your faith for the rest of this journey. And here the people of Israel turn that down. And it, and it says that so that you may not sin. In other words, that you may not depart from God's ways. Verse 21, so the people stood afar off but Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God's where God was. And here we see the difference of why God was willing to reveal his ways, his heart to Moses. But all the people of Israel could see was the acts of God. And somehow, some way, although he made a covenant with them that I want to be your God and I want you to be my people, we see with that with that entire generation. It seems that they had a very impersonal relationship with God. They had a relationship with his acts, with his power, with his might. But Moses had a relationship with God himself. And you see, hearts that seek after God's hand as opposed to seeking after God's heart are hearts that remain loyal to themselves. They're actually in it for what God can do for them. And what happens is we, we, we can pick up in our own lives when our hearts have drifted into that territory. When we begin to murmur and we begin to complain when things are not working out the way we think they should. When we begin to moan against God. Oh, you know, God, you know, you've made all these promises, but I'm not seeing them. You know what? That, that's a marker for us. That's a, a red light to say, hang on. You're pursuing God here for what he can do for you. This is still about your agenda and your heart is still loyal to your cause rather than being completely loyal to the Lord. And that very murmuring and that very complaining is the thing that 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 stopped Israel from being able to enter into the promised land. That heart attitude is what kept them from their promise. And they ended up dying without seeing the providence that they desired from God. You see, the providence of God is wrapped up in his ways, not just in his acts. When I'm habitually focused on what I get out of it. My heart is still focused on me. And so when I read the scripture, when I read this verse, 
it's an opportunity for me to, as I'm blessing the Lord and remembering all these good things that he has done for me. And I'm thanking him for everything that he's done for me. I remind myself, wow, he's done all this for me. And yet it's not all about me. It's not all about me. That is the greatness of God. And now furthermore, in the light of his righteousness, of his just acts and of his ways, verse 8 goes on to say, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. In other words, he's got mercy on mercy on mercy. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. All the world tastes of his sparing mercy. Those who hear the gospel partake of his inviting mercy. The saints live by his saving mercy, are preserved by his upholding mercy, are cheered by his consoling mercy, and will enter heaven through his infinite and everlasting mercy. His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. And to really demonstrate this, the next verse breaks this down even further. It says that he will not always strive with us. What that really means is that God is not looking for lingering disputes with us. Instead, he chooses mercy. He doesn't want to keep going over the same things over and over. He's not looking to, to bring your sin again and again to remembrance. He's not going to struggle with you. If you're, if you're defiant, if you don't want to follow, God's not going to push. God is not going to be forceful. He has no desire to, 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 to have lingering disputes with you, nor will he keep his anger forever. Verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor has he punished us according to our iniquities. And we all know just the greatness of, of what the cross represents. And this is the, the marvel. This is what sets God apart of, of his divine mercy and his grace as they work together. You see, not only were you and I spared from what we deserved, but we receive what we don't deserve. And God dealt with another according to our sins, that he may deal with us as sons and daughters. Wow, what a revelation. What, a, what an incredible thing to think about, that Jesus himself was willing to bear what we deserve, that we could become the sons and daughters of God. He goes on to say in verse 11, as David just continues this meditation of God's goodness and faithfulness to him, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. In other words, to those who, who look at him, who, who esteem him with, with reverent awe. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I love this analogy because east and west never meet. You know, north and south change. If you go north, you hit a point where you can no longer go any further north. From that point, you have to go south. Regardless of which way you go, you're going to go south. But no matter how far east you go, there's more east. And no matter how far west you go, there's more west. And there's a couple of songs that, that are really dear to my heart. The one of them is, is, is called His Mercy is More by Keith and Kristen Getty. And this, this is the line to the first verse. They say, what love could remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their son. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Wow. Beautiful, beautiful words. I love, I love that song. And again, there's another one we sing from time to time at Alpha and Amiga. It's called Highlands by Hillsong. 
And the, the, the third verse says, Oh, how far beneath your glory does your kindness extend the path? From where your feet rest on the sunrise to where you sweep the sinners past, the east and the west. Beautiful words. Uh, and those, those really meant a great deal to me at a time when I was um, feeling very low. Those words just encapsulated that the idea of just how far God has removed our transgressions from us. It all this, all these this, these songs and this the psalmic language explains or describes the same act that our sin, that our shame, even our shame that is associated with that sin, has been consigned to God's eternal forgetfulness. Sometimes when we come into the presence of God, we want to bring in to His, we want to bring to rem, to His remembrance things that He has long since forgotten. And that what a wonderful liberation that is. You know, when our sin is no more, neither is our shame. That is the healing power of God's mercy and his forgiveness. Let's carry on to verse 13 as we begin to round things out. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Then here we see the words, those who fear him again. Those who fear him are those who, as I've said, acknowledge him according to the truth of who he is. Almighty God, creator of all, eternal judge. It's got to do with an attitude of reverent awe. And they, therefore, because of that reverent awe, you see, it's not a reverent awe that leads me to, 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 to shrink back. It's a reverent awe that leads me to draw near and puts within my heart a desire to live a life that honors him. But the truth is that as soon as I set out to do that, I don't know about you, but I find as soon as I set out to do that, I realize I'm unable to do so. <laughs> I'm unable to do so without his grace. And this is why God pities us. You see, he has to measure his expectations of us. Why? Verse 14, because he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. For as for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. You know, we're caught up in our lives, but our lives are just this transient speck of time, of millions of lives that have come before. And we don't know how many countless lives that will come after us. Some of us will leave an impact that shakes the world. Some of us will leave an impact that shakes someone else. Neither is more meaningful than the other. The point is just that without God's grace, without his mercy, without his ability, there is nothing in me that I can do to please him or to bring him glory. And considering my human frailty and our, uh, our human frailty and our level of spiritual maturity, God lovingly leads us into his all sufficiency. He says that we are so, we are, we are so, what did he call us? We're like dust. We're like grass. We, we, you know, we, we're like a vapor, if you like. But then he goes on to talk to, David reflects on the greatness of God. He reflects on just the fleeting triviality almost of his own flesh and his own life. And then once again, reflects his attention upward saying, but the mercy of the Lord upon this transient being is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them you see 
These promises of everlasting love and mercy are given with conditions. The promises of God are made to those who fear him. In fact, let me put it this way. The promises of God are made to all who will believe, but they are realized and experienced by those whose hearts fear the Lord, by those who as a result keep his commandments, by those, as the, as the psalm says, remember his commandments. In other words, it's not just this remembrance here, but they inculcate them into an expression of their life. In other words, the commandments of God are not some kind of external instructions that I need to do or fulfill, but the commandments of God, the ways of God become inculcated into my life so that I live them out on the daily as a natural expression of my worship to him. So ultimately what this means is that th those who disregard the Lord will ultimately be disregarded by him. If I have no time for God, you know, by, Jesus said in those days, people will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, oh, we did all of this stuff. We got the power. We got the acts. And he will say, I never knew you. You never carried my ways in you. Verse 19, David says that the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. And again, we just see him once again putting God in that place of reverence as ultimate king, as ultimate authority. And this is the message that we as new covenant believers understand that Jesus came to demonstrate and that through his death and his resurrection, he came to make effective in your life and my life every single day. The authority and the rulership of God. And then we come to the finale of the psalm. The directive that David now has he's commanded his soul, bless the Lord and forget not all these benefits. And he's walked, he's walked us through this wonderful, uh, the psalm of remembrance and, and reflection. And then he comes to the end where he starts to speak out to everything around him. He says, bless the Lord, you his angels who excel in strength and do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works. And now he's spoken into the heavenlies. He's now speaking into God's creation in all places of his dominion. And finally, bless the Lord, O my soul. The psalm ends the same way the psalm begins. And David is saying there is this incredible song of God's praise, of God's blessing going on in all creation. And I will join the song. And I want to say to you today, no matter where you are, no matter what you are going through, join in the song. Take time to reflect Set your heart to praise and to worship God. Set your mind to magnify him, to think magnificently of him. Because as you do so, as he grows in your estimation, so will his influence in your life. Not just today, but every single day. I will close with the same words I opened with. Paternus, advice to a son. First of all, my child, make it your business to think magnificently of God. Magnify his providence. Adore his power. Pray to, pray to him frequently and incessantly. Bear him always in your mind. Teach your thoughts 
to reverence him in every place, for there is no place where he is not. Therefore, my child, fear and worship God and love God first and last. Think magnificently of him. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.